0: Welcome to Theology on Tap, everybody. So glad that you're here. Grab a seat. Grab a slice of pizza. <coughs> Excuse me. Go ahead. Grab a seat. We'll have some space on the steps if you need to, but there's plenty of seats up in the front. We're glad that you're here. My name is Justin. This is Brian, Brian. Grevy. Yes. And we're delighted that you are here this evening. We've got a fun uh, topic to talk about this evening. One of the things... You'll notice is this sheet of paper kind of lying around the room. If this is your first time, you're going to need to uh, find one of these because at the top, the way this evening goes is after we talk about our topic tonight, you guys can scan this QR code, Well, really you can do it while we're talking, that's fine, Uh, but you can ask any question whatsoever related to the topic that we're talking about or anything that's on your mind, and we'll do our best to answer that this evening. If you want to join our email list, you can also see uh, right there on the bottom left, you can scan that and and join. A couple announcements I want to bring to your attention is we've got a group that meets on the off weeks of uh, Theology on Tap called Holy City Life, and there's I think over 50 people in this group me right now, but just as a way to have more fellowship opportunities, I know they do uh, pickleball, they've done some game nights or um, like a cocktail hour or something like that, so just another way to find uh, more fellowship outside of this time. There's also some small group Bible studies that are starting up. If you're looking to get in one of those, uh, go ahead and you can text me. My number's right there. I'm going to be leading a guy's study. We've got a couple ladies' studies uh, that are going on, so uh, a number of you have texted already, and I will get back with you because I have not yet, but that's actually starting up hopefully next week. Uh, The final announcement this evening. Lots happened since the last time we gathered at Theology you on could Tap. You say that. There was a lot that has happened, for sure. One of the things that we found out was actually there's a, an entire group called Theology on Tap that you have to get a license to have the name. Uh, so we've been doing this for which two years. Which is not us. Which isn't us. We've been doing this for two years, and we were like, uh-oh. Um, <laughs> my bad. But we've, like I said, we've been doing that, gosh, since the June of 2021, mm-hmm. right? And we've been so with no license. With no license, we've been blessed by Clark and the folks at Henry's to kind of be here, and it's been a wonderful group. And so now we find ourselves obligated uh, to change our name, and we're going to enlist your help. So, uh, what you can do is scan this bottom QR code. Even if this is your first time, I guess you can come up with a name, but it'll help if you've been here for a little while. And. Brian and I are going to be the judges, and yes. we're gonna uh, reserve the right to find and choose the, the overall winning name. But so if the,
1: you've never participated in a really important crowdsourcing event before, this is your opportunity. Totally,
0: and the winner is gonna get a special prize. We're gonna have some beer mugs probably or uh, that, that'll have the, the name that we choose the uh, And the old name with a slash mark. it <laughs> slash right through it. So we're enlisting your help. We would love your help with that. But um, we are going to continue on, obviously, with what we do here. And we would love for you to be a part of that. So this evening, what are we talking about?
1: We are talking about education. And uh, if you got here early, you heard the first song on the playlist, which was Pink Floyd, Another Brick in the Wall. Does anybody know what the chorus of that says? We don't need no education. Yeah, we don't need no education. So you may think, what are we talking about that for? Uh, But we think that the whole idea of education and the way that we think about it is deeply related to what we talked about in Theology on Tap last time, which was... We, We looked at
0: Jesus's... When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And that's often one that people get hung up on. How do you actually love anybody with your mind? But specifically, how do you love God with your mind? So we unpacked that and we were like, oh, this is a natural topic now to talk about, education in general. How do you you obviously use your mind? Obviously your mind's involved in education, Mm -hmm. but- Or you you hope so. You hope so, yeah. But there's a lot more to it than that. So I'm excited that we're gonna talk about this this evening.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that is so uh, important about that is that when you look at that great commandment that Jesus gives, it's a very proactive kind of commandment that we are not to just sit around, but we are to be thinking uh, creatures, and that we are to be thinking about what does it mean to love God actively with our mind? What does it mean to live in this world that God has made among people who are made in the image of God and how, how do we do that with wisdom and with purpose and with joy? And I think that one of the things that has happened, and this is one of the advantages that I have of being really old, uh, way older than y'all are, is that I can remember what education used to be like and how people used to talk about education and how people talk about it today and how wildly different they are from each other. And just one of those differences uh, that you can see if you look actually at old survey data, if you look at people who were surveyed in the 1960s about why they were going to college, almost all of them, the top response would be about learning to lead a life of meaning and purpose, or. trying to make the world a better place or something that's kind of in that lane. And uh, now, if you ask that same question, I think it's over 80% would say, I'm going because I want to try to get a job where I can make a lot of money. And those are really different goals for education.
0: Yeah, they are. and. Uh I think that's certainly one of the things I've seen. You know, um, I have noticed even in my lifetime that the specialization, particularly in college degrees, right, like just what is a major now, that it's far more focused and specific than I would imagine generations before. As it's become more- You can say for old people like you. I was was (laughs) tiptoeing around it, but um, I'm glad you gave me the permission. So no, uh, yeah, so it's become far more specific and specialized, which is interesting because I know a large number of people graduate and it's something like 75%, I mean, I can't remember the exact statistic, that don't go into a field that is related to their major. And I think there's a lot of mixed feelings about about that, which is not bad. But that was actually the norm for so long because you didn't go to college primarily to get
1: a job. Right. What was the purpose of education, or specifically college, then? Would yeah, you say? that is such a good question. Um, how many of y'all went to a school for college that built itself as a liberal arts institution? Um, So lots of schools build themselves as liberal arts institutions, but most of them have largely forgotten what the liberal arts, what that actually means. So it used to be that uh, people went to college not to study something that would particularly land them in a career with a particular uh, likely salary point, but you went to college to learn what it meant to live a good life, what it meant to lead a life of meaning and purpose, what it meant to lead a life where you might leave the world a better place than you found it, and in many institutions, what it meant to live a life of virtue. And so the liberal arts exposed you to all of the great thinking of the human race about those big questions. And that was pretty much the norm in education. And the most important course that was usually saved for uh, your junior or senior year was philosophy. And people thought philosophy was really important. To be an educated person, you needed to have studied philosophy in college and to look at the different ways that people have thought about. What does it mean to be human and to live a life of meaning and purpose? How many of you took a course in philosophy in college? All right, that is y'all are breaking the statistical sample um, because that should be maybe a half a hand um, at this point. Uh, It's rare that people do that. Also, theology was something that was taught Across the disciplines, and believe it or not, theology, the study of God, the things of God, was in the science department, and theology was called the queen of sciences. And so it's interesting, you know, people certainly went on after college to get jobs, but that was not really seen as the main reason that you went to college. And one of the things that I think is really interesting is that most people who go to college now, that whole question about what is life for, what am I for, um, what makes for virtue, what makes for meaning and purpose, those are questions that are just not addressed in the academic world. And it's interesting that as education has moved in that direction, at the same time, anxiety, depression, lack of purpose, lack of meaning has skyrocketed because one of the major forums that people used to talk about that is golf. Yeah, Um, are y'all cold? Uh, All right, good.
0: Clark called it. Clark was like, y'all are gonna be freezing in here in a little bit, and I was like, well, it's hot right now, and then he was actually, so thank you. Uh, I was was dying. Hey, Clark. All right, you're the man. Clark is always the man. So one of the things that stands out to me, though, about what you just said is that, you know, what we agree upon on what is actually virtuous, what we agree upon as what is true and good is hotly debated or just flatly rejected, that there is no such categories. Um, where would you say that that kind of began, that we no longer even consider those things, in in higher education at least? Oh, that's
1: such a dangerous question okay. to ask me. Just um, I would love to spend an hour or so telling y'all all about Foucault and Derrida and everything that they did to destroy the idea of Western civilization. Uh, but probably y'all would be like, what is he talking about? Uh, <laughs> But I think that a large part of that has come from a shift and an understanding about why you want to be an educated person. And I think that as soon as it became an economic proposition, more than anything else, and once again, uh, guess who might have predicted this in his writing? Jesus. Oh, Oh. how (laughs) could Jesus have thought it might be C.S. Lewis? Yes, C.S. Lewis said, if we ever stop Thinking about education as a means of training the affections to love what is true, good, and beautiful, and it shifts to be all about getting a job to make money, we will have begun, we will have begun to sow the seeds of the destruction of civilization. Now that's a pretty strong statement. But that but the other thing that goes along with that is that it used to be that there was this idea that part of why you did higher higher education was to instill in you a love of learning Mm -hmm. to make you realize how much there was that you didn't know and how much was beautiful and interesting in God's creation and in the history of the human race that needed to be explored so that you would come out with your degree and it was a license to begin learning. Mm Whereas now, it's like a college degree, a lot of people feel like I've been in the oven cooking, and uh, when I get my degree, I'm done, and I don't ever have to go back to that stupid oven again. And, uh, well, what's your ticket then to what you're
0: really after, which is which job is job and money. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, one of the things, okay, where does the Bible and where does Jesus intersect with kind of this topic? Because I don't know exactly. They didn't have public school back then, I would imagine, or things like that, but... You know, one of the basic words that you see Jesus calling people to do is become his disciples. That word disciple means actually a learner, somebody Mm -hmm. who takes up and follows and learns the habits of a master, right? And so education is not just about learning with your head and your facts. And I think, you know, earlier that question about that you said Derrida and Foucault, I think you could go even further back to the Enlightenment where all of a sudden now Mm -hmm. we're primarily viewed as brains on a stick. And that's not what our human body is. Like, yes, education and learning is important in the mind, but as you also said, it's a holistic thing too. Um, it's about a life well lived and, and how we live our lives, it reinforces what we believe and how
1: we think. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, would you go on? Well, I was just gonna say, I think part and parcel of that is the whole understanding of what it means to be created in the image of God. And I think that is one of the things that is deeply related to this that's so easy to miss, is that human beings are the only thing in all of creation that are created in the image of God. And in the whole creation narrative, even though everything that's created, mountains, sunsets, the sea, animals, the plants, all of those things are said to be good, the only thing that's said to be very good is man and woman created in the image of God, both men and women in the image of God. And what sets them apart from all of the rest of creation are a couple of things. One, that they're made in the image of God. Second, that they have the gift of speech, which that's a huge thing. And thirdly, that they can create. The human race is the only thing out of all creation that can create, whether it be architecture or music or art or whatever it might be and those living into those three things of being in the image of God, speech and being able to create is deeply involved with the whole idea of education and what the original purpose of education was and part of the reason for that is that the uh, early Christians and then certainly the reformers and Also, a lot of the Catholic writers understood that part of why God created us was for us to have joy. And that we were not created to be drones um, working in something like uh, Saruman's evil factories in the Lord of the Rings, which is what a lot of people's jobs today sometimes feel like. But we're created for joy. And that living into that and learning is all part of that
0: process. So if everyone is meant to be a lifelong learner in some ways, which I do think the goal of education is the more you, you learn, the more you realize just how little you know, right? But mm-hmm. the goal of, of education in some sense is to know the world the way God does it, mm-hmm. not perfectly, but as as Augustine said, to think God's thoughts after African, him, right? Yeah. And so we're wanting to see the world the way God does it, to understand it the way God does it. Um, is education something that everyone should do? I think this is one of the, the things that you see the phenomena in our day day where it's just a given that everybody goes into higher education. In fact, now that doesn't even mean anything because if you got to get a job, then you got to get you know a post, uh, a, a master's degree mm-hmm. or some other kind of equivalent. Where do how should we understand, uh, higher education in particular when it comes to should everyone go after that or. What do we
1: think of that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think there's not specific scriptural guidance that says, thou shalt do this or thou shalt do that. But one of the things that scripture is very clear about is that you need to figure out the way that God has made you. You need to figure out the way that God has designed you and what the gifts that God has given you are. Because every single person in this room has been given gifts by God that when you use them in the way that God wants you to, That will bring you joy and satisfaction. And so for some people, going into uh, a college university environment will be a great thing. For other people, it will be absolute torture. And you might, for example, take someone who is perhaps a very gifted carpenter who loves woodworking and is able to make beautiful things like the scroll work that's in the corners of that mirror, or the turned balustrade here on the stairs. And they have that kind of knowledge and skill, but you put them in a class on Prussian history, and they're gonna crash and burn. And sometimes the way that our culture works in the United States, you feel like if you don't go to college and get a four-year degree, then you are somehow less than and that you have missed out on what God's purpose for you is. But part of that is because we have such a faulty theology of work. And what scripture tells us is that any job can be done to the glory of God. And there's a wonderful quotation from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who is someone who needs to be read more often by people. And I've talked about this in here before, but one of the things he talks about is whatever your job is, if your job is to be the street sweeper on Monday morning, sweep those streets as if you were Michelangelo painting a painting. Sweep those streets to the fullest of your ability and take pride in what you're doing. And we've we've lost a lot of that.
0: Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. There's now all of a sudden work that is less than most people, which caused them to probably, I love what you said earlier, which was I think what I'd summarize and say is that education is not necessarily a right, but a privilege. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be one that is in accord with who God made you. What is your calling and what has he gifted you and called you to do is a more important question than necessarily universally assuming you've got to go to college. And now I think, gosh, I mean, just, I'd be fascinated to know if you added up my student debt with everybody else's student debt what that number just in this room would be which would be amazing but you're seeing a ceiling in the cost of education which we could talk a little bit about um, and again the goal is well I've got to get this to get a certain kind of job because fundamentally certain I think we operate with this notion that certain work is simply better inherently than others and. Um, that's just not the case so i'm pleased to see the rise in trade schools and stuff like that where hopefully the stigma of different kinds of work whatever it is that you can inf- if you if we grasp what god says about the goodness of all work mm-hmm. that all of a sudden that sort of stigma is is gone and alleviated. And it's important when it comes to
1: this notion of education, particularly with the cost. Yeah, and I think one of the things that has happened is that as there's been that shift that we talked about earlier from education being about meaning, purpose, virtue, over to education about maximizing economic utility, not surprisingly, the cost of higher education has gone in this very steep upward curve. And part of the reason for that is that uh, I don't want to go into a lot of economics, but the the demand curve and the supply curve um, have done some very strange things since the way college used to be. And the result of that is that people are willing to pay a higher price because they think that there's ultimately going to be this payoff. But the problem with that is that people come out of school saddled with all of this debt, and it almost sentences them. It's kind of like if you... Uh, read or watched the movie of Les Miserables, um, of ending up uh, just toiling day and night and day and night to try to pay off your debt to society, except in this case it's a debt to a university, or Sally May or uh, whichever government agency has your loan. And it takes away all of your freedom, because you can't decide to do something else. You've got to do what makes the most money.
0: Well, I mean, a lot of folks in this room are right at that stage where they've either recently graduated college or perhaps considering further degrees. What would you, as we sum up, offer as a bit of advice when it comes to
1: this topic of of education given where folks in this room are right now? I would say the most important thing is to have a paradigm shift. If you think that your education is finished because you graduated, from high school or college or graduate school or law school or med school or whatever it is, to replace that thought with the idea of, I really want to be a lifelong learner. I want to pursue Christ. I want to pursue the beauty, truth, and goodness that have been infused into this creation. I want to experience joy in my life. And if you feel like you have been uh, shall I say, mal-educated? Uh, that you haven't read the great books, that you don't know anything about art, or you don't know anything about music. Uh, you know, just because you're not in school doesn't mean that you can't learn. And there are so many great ways of being able to uh, learn more, especially in a place like Charleston, uh, to learn more that will really enrich your life. So I would say Orienting yourself toward being that kind of lifelong learner is a really important thing. And that goes right back to loving God with your mind. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I would say I mean, I was fortunate to go to some really good schools in, in the area and kind of had this awakening in the last 10 years or so of, man, I've gone to great schools, but I feel like as we just summarize some of what education is and what it's meant for gosh, even going to that, I missed out on, on a lot of that. I didn't capitalize on it or it wasn't available. And just the, the natural flow of it was not a love of learning, not a love of the the subject itself for what it was in God's eyes, but just I got to get good grades to get the degree to get the job to make right. the money. Yeah. Yeah. And now, I mean, many of you are Lord willing, probably going to get married have children. And what I can say is learn from that. That's one of the things that we have children right now and you have this opportunity, particularly as you kind of have the the bubble burst in your own world, to then, what can you do for the next generation? And I think that was a critical thing, just speaking personally in our own lives, where we've started to, that is, particularly at a young age, trying to instill a love of learning, because I think, gosh, the system even at a very young age today drums it is, out. I mean, we're yeah. talking pre-kindergarten. We gotta get in this school, so we can get in this school and this school, and it's like, they are starting, way too much in some sense that it, in terms of specific academics that actually undermines a love of learning in many ways. And, and it's not helpful, I think, to particularly young children. And so you're at a crit- critical juncture. You may feel like it's far away, but it's really not. Uh, as you begin to have a family of your own, uh, you can think about how can we leave this uh, notion better for the generations to follow. Yeah, so.
1: and getting your thinking straight about that before you get to that right. point is totally. really helpful.
0: Yeah, so who do we have? Uh, John, you're doing it tonight, awesome. How, how are we doing on questions?
2: Uh, if everyone wants to take a second to go ahead and start liking some of the questions. Um, yeah. Claudio, you, did you begin, one? All right, y'all ready? So ready. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Ready as we'll ever be. (coughs) Okay, first question. What do you think of the military draft and the potential that some of us might be drafted sometime in our lifetimes?
1: That is a good question. I will speak to that because I was subject to the military draft because I am that old. And uh, so when I was 18, I had to go to the federal building in Charleston on my birthday, which is now the Dewberry Hotel and register at the draft office and walk through the picket lines of people picketing against the war in Vietnam and sign up for the draft. So that was quite an experience. Um, pretty much a couple of weeks after that, the war was over, so it was ended up being okay. But I think that uh, the draft is something that uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that uh being required to do some kind of public service for your country uh is valuable it helps you to understand that the freedoms that we take for granted were things that were won at a price uh so i think you know obviously this presumes that we have a reasonably sane government and we are uh not going off and doing all sorts of crazy sorts of things yeah Well, it's interesting that I think the gospel text for this Sunday that's assigned is
0: in the in the lectionary, render under Caesar what is Caesar's, which is very, I mean, typically we tend to think of like paying taxes that way. But I think this could fall under that as well, recognizing that, um, you know, that was a pretty remarkable claim that Jesus said to the Roman Empire, which was not exactly the most ethical uh, empire, maybe. But uh, recognizing, that, I think, Christianity, we are indeed called to still be citizens in yes ultimately our true citizenship is in heaven but God has established the kingdoms of this world and we belong to those and to seek the goodness of those and to serve our country is in fact a good thing and the draft I think that's where I would frame that is is part of what it means to serve your country how do you bring faith with
2: you to work what about school how do you bear in mind your faith when, for instance, considering a career change?
1: Oh boy, those are Sign questions. Sign up for my I class. Love, well, yes, exactly. <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I've been. Well, this it's is actually recorded. It is recorded.
0: It's online. You can go into St. Philip's website. Sermons and classes. We're about a third of the way through it right now. But um, how do you? I mean, I will just speak to that first question, I think there are about three questions in there, but how do you connect your faith and your work is, well, one, to recognize what, what is work for, recognizing not just an office, but the things that you and I do in our day-to-day lives. Uh, all of that is, is intended to be done with a purpose. God cares about all of that, whether it's going to school, whether it's actually earning a, a wage, whatever that is, um, or if it's cleaning the dishes, you know, cleaning your house, doing, mowing the lawn, all of those things. God cares about deeply so it's situating it in the fact that in the larger story of, of God's world he created work in the very beginning and recognizing what's that work for well it's to to serve the common good but and to, to love other people and actually to be a way that you in fact experience some level of purpose and identity using your gifts recognizing that we were made to work in a sense we were it wasn't like one day a week that we work and six days that we rest. And I think that's, tend to, that's usually how we think about it in our world today. But no, it's the other way around. We're made to work six days and rest one. And that actually heaven's going to be a place where there's tangible work that we get to enjoy and do, creating beauty and cultivating the world and seeing flourishing, all that um, is really, really important. So I think I would say seeing that story and seeing your daily task in light of that. What would you add?
1: Well, and the other thing I would add is that it's easy to think about work as just a means to an end, that I have to go and endure this for X number of hours so I can get out and then go to Upper King Street or um, Netflix binge at home. Uh, That is not a biblical view of work. And uh, it's also not a very fulfilling view of work. And so I think understanding that you have, as we said earlier, been created by God Uh, Not to just sit around and do things that are um, distracting and entertaining, but to be productive, to be in a relationship. And I think one of the most important things you can do is to approach your work with prayer and to say, God, why have you called me to this particular thing? And it may have nothing to do with the work. It may be the people that you are working with. Um, It could be some other sort of thing that you don't have really any idea about but i think approaching it prayerfully and then i think the whole idea of how do you evaluate a career change um that is a great time to talk to an older christian uh about what you're experiencing and why you want to make that change
0: yeah it's such a hard question to answer in the abstract because on the one hand you you may need to simply all work is frustrating in in some ways and the fact that we live in a fallen world, it w- more often than not, particularly I think our problem today is we want to check out as soon as things get hard. And i so I think it, you have to seek counsel is a really important thing. But where your giftings and the world's needs meet is probably a good idea of where God's calling
1: you yes, to be and where joy happens. And I was yes. going to
0: share, share this quote earlier. I got to share it. It's the Dorothy Sayers oh, quote. Oh, so good. Um, that you know what are you actually gifted with, and this is where. Talking with other people who know you, your parents, your friends, who will be willing to say what they actually see in you um, is really important. But usually, I love this, Dorothy Sayers says that the church's approach uh, to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. That's usually what the advice of the church has been to a carpenter. And in fact, she says what the church should be telling him is this that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. And so if you, think about where you are right now and what you're called to do and do it excellently. And that's a way that you serve
1: the world and that's a way to honor God in your work. And if we completely didn't answer that and you asked that question, either of us would be happy to talk to you later. Yeah. How
2: do you deal with burnout? in both an academic and working environment?
1: That's a really good question. Yes, that is a great question. I think the first thing is to realize that burnout is a real thing. Um, The second thing I would say is to look at why it is that you're experiencing burnout. There can be a whole host of different reasons for that. It could be that you're a square peg in a round hole, that you are wired and gifted in one way and you are running on the hamster wheel in a situation that has nothing to do with the way that God has made you and it is wearing you out. Um, It also may be that you are in the right field, but you're in a place where uh, there are more demands on you than should be made and you don't have good boundaries and so you are burning yourself out. Another thing that could be happening is you could have your priorities skewed where you are not making time for your relationship with God, you're not making time for friends, that you feel like you're so committed to whatever it is that you don't have time for anything that's life-giving.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's great. I would say when you're looking at your work, to find ultimate meaning and significance in your life in a way that it was never intended to bear that sort of existential weight, you're going to probably face burnout sooner rather than later. And so you you have to have a proper relationship to your work and, and not expect from it more than it was created to do while balancing the fact that you were still made for this in a certain way. But when you look to it as an idol, as something that you're looking for too much, you're going to overwork, you're going to sacrifice, unfortunately, in unhealthy ways, other areas that you need, other friendships, other relationships. Just, I mean, one of the most probably dishonored command or broken commands is keeping the Sabbath. And that's not just showing up to to church, but we've talked about this book before, Sabbath as Resistance by Walter Walter Brueggemann. The idea that when you take a day off, you're putting a flag in the ground saying, I'm not defined by what I produce. And if you have that kind of relationship with your work, it's going to be much more difficult for you to, to burn out, I think.
2: How highly would you recommend sending children to religious schools as opposed to public, in the context in the context of learning a godly worldview?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I'm a big fan of religious schools that are good religious schools. The problem is that not all good schools. Who all religious schools are not necessarily good schools. Uh, I think that the the real advantage if you're going to a good religious school, uh, and I would I would prefer to say Christian rather than religious. Um, if you're going to a good Christian school, you're going to be educated within what C.S. Lewis calls the Tao, which is the sort of natural law tradition of understanding right and wrong, beauty and truth and goodness, eternal values, all of those kinds of things. So that is going to be the framework on which everything you learn is hung. Whereas if you are in a secular school, unless you happen to have a lot of uh, Christian teachers, what is probably going to happen is you are gonna be reinforced more and more in a secular worldview that says you are a cosmic accident, that there's no meaning or purpose to life, that you could just as easily have been a rock or a blade of grass or a cockroach, and that your life doesn't mean anything. And that, that worldview permeates secular education. And so I would say uh, Christian education is far superior to that, whether it's in a school or whether it's in a homeschooling kind of environment. Yeah. <clears throat> this has been something in our own family. we got three children and we've
0: had to face, and really it's, it's a struggle any way around. I think particularly the last 10 years, you look at, I mean, just the school system, public, private, Christian, like it, it's a really, hard time and to, to really answer this question. What I would say is regardless of where you end up, the role of your of the parent to be involved. I was actually leading a, a dad's Bible study on this, and we're going through um, a catechism, and it mm-hmm. expounded on the fifth commandment. Anybody know the fifth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. Mm-hmm. And one of the um, questions and answers what's entailed in that commandment is the responsibilities of a parent to their children. Right. So it's not yeah. just... Uh, children honoring their parents, but parents have responsibilities to their children. One of those is education, according to the the Anglican Catechism and other catechisms as well. But recognizing you have a duty as a parent to actually be a major part of your child's education. So whether they're in the public school or private school or Christian school, you're the primary educator. I think that's important to recognize. Um, And I think all too often some Christian schools have you know, the, the challenge is like, well, we want to be in a rigorous academic environment, and some places uh, have, have struggled with that. Ideally, you want a both and, where you're a love of God and a love of His Word and, and His world is going to cause that's where science was created. by right. the way, yeah. like, All these disciplines came from Christians who were drawn by their faith to seek further understanding, so to recognize the natural ways that God made the world, and to draw out what this means for how we are to live. So um, I don't know if that really answers the question, but that's plenty to chew on, I guess.
2: How do we reconcile the current situation in Israel with biblical history?
0: In two minutes, Brian, you got Yeah, this. <laughs> okay.
1: So one of the best things you can do if you are confused or troubled by the situation in Israel, which I would hope would be everyone in this room, One of the best things you could do is go to St. Philip's website and watch the YouTube video of the class that our rector, Jeff Miller, gave on this on Sunday morning, uh, where he basically covers 4,000 years of history in 45 minutes and explains the roots that are behind all of this conflict. Um, I would really commend that to you. It will be some of the best 45 minutes uh, that you spend to be better informed about this. But what he concluded that session with was, how do we respond as Christians to this situation? And basically what he said is that there is clearly a right for Israel to exist as a nation. So that's one thing. But the other thing that is equally important is that all of those other people, uh, Palestinians, uh, and other people who are in that region, are all people for whom Christ died. And to treat anyone in that whole mess as just a statistic who's in the way is profoundly not Christian. And one of the things that is easy to miss is that there's a significant, not large and certainly not majority, but a significant ancient Palestinian Christian community who lives over there. So it is a situation. um, And he also said no one comes to that situation, whether Israel or any of the other people, with clean hands. And that in the midst of that, when you introduce terrorist groups who have absolutely no moral compass Uh, then you have a, a brew that is ripe for all sorts of really bad things to happen. And the idea that we won't be able to get terrorists to conform to what we think of as a Western understanding of just war is crazy. Yeah, I agree. I think that what I would add
0: is the basic posture towards what's happening first for a Christian should be deep sorrow and lament over the fact that this is a deeply fallen world with the more you look at it, the more complexity and the more compassion I think you have for it. And even though I agree, like I believe that the Bible does um, give the power to the state for for what's called just war. Mm-hmm. And I think you, Israel has a right to defend itself right now amidst people who are trying to wipe them off the face of the earth. Uh, Yet it's just as in the same. An analogy, for instance, would be in the New Testament, Jesus and the New Testament prescribes two reasons that you can get divorced, um, and that is infidelity or abandonment, right? And um, neglect, so to speak. In either case, even if that happens, it's lamentable. It's yes. terrible, and it should be. A, it's a sad day when that happens, right? So the basic posture, even when just war is permitted. It is a sad day that, that we're in, right? But um, I think you're right. You're not looking at what I believe, in, in Israel or Palestine, two equal and opposite uh, worldviews and understandings of how you approach war and violence. One was clearly going in and attacking innocent people, <laughs> flying by the air and by land and by sea, doing this on purpose, uh, and others are responding to basically defending itself as a nation. It's a complex scenario, go,
1: yeah, we. And the other thing that Jeff said that I thought was really important is that we really, we want to be able to categorize this and say, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. And the problem is that, as Solzhenitsyn said, the line between good and evil runs through the human heart. Mm -hmm. And there is good on, not on the terrorist side, but they're they're, they're good in all of the people in that region, but there's bad in all of the people. And we can't say these people are the white knights, and these people are terrible.
2: Yeah.
1: What would you recommend studying during your free time Oh. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, I would say the first thing is uh, to read scripture, particularly if you haven't done that a lot. One of the things I would really commend to you if you've never done it is to actually sit down and read a gospel at one sitting. Uh, And if you are into that, to read more than one gospel um, sequentially to refresh yourself uh, about who Jesus is. One of the things that we forget sometimes is that our Bibles with the fancy paper and the gold lettering and all of that, uh, and verses and chapters, that's not the way any of these documents were originally. Each gospel was originally a little codex, which is kind of like a paperback book with the binding stripped off that didn't have chapters or verses or anything. And it was written as a narrative to be read all at once. And so you get the, uh, as some scholars would say, the warp and woof of the gospel looking at all of that. So I think that's a great thing to do. Uh, Another thing is if you uh, don't know the great works of Western civilization, Uh, that are rooted in Christian thought. Going back and getting a good book that is sort of a survey of the classics is a great way to begin to keep learning. If you know nothing about art, um, I would recommend to you a wonderful book that a group of us are studying at St. Philip's right now. It's called Rembrandt is in the Wind uh, that will help you learn about art and why art matters. Um, There are so many things. If you you want to know more about that, either of us could give you a list of my long.
0: I need like a brown bag to breathe into for this question right now. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. uh, No, I I was going to say, like, one of the things I, I, that was me. Did you
1: notice I didn't even say C.S. Lewis? That deserves a round of applause, I think.
0: (laughs) I was the person in high school who was forced to read the classics, many of them, and did not. I couldn't and hated it. I couldn't tell you what they were. Right, I couldn't right. tell you what the plot was about at all. And so that's one of the things I've really enjoyed. I mean, I read uh, 1984, some Dickens, um, Brave New World was something recent. I mean, all those that you just mentioned were like my reading list the last two years. So uh, that's certainly uh, what I would would recommend as well. And Um, history is probably a good thing to read right now I mean that's one of the things just recognizing we're not the first people to ever live and so how people thought both Christian history and it is really important in the day that we're in but but history as well uh, the larger world but American history that sort of thing always situates you in a way that will provide humility I think to our understanding Mm -hmm.
2: What books
1: would you recommend to learn about the history of St. Philip's? Oh dear, Uh, that's a really good question too. One of the things that we're hoping is that someone is going to come and write a really good history of St. Philip's. We have a couple of histories out there. Uh, There's one by Dot Anderson uh, that is about the early history of St. Philip's, uh, which is kind of a series of vignettes about different periods in the church's history early on. There's another one by Bill McIntosh, which is a little bit later, that's called The Spiritual Journey of St. Philip's Church. Uh, but they both of them leave out a lot. Uh, one thing that I would encourage you to do if you are interested in that, uh, is when you are at St. Philip's, there are four big banners in the narthex, the entrance part of the church, that are new research that we did during the pandemic about the history of St. Philip's. And, there are all sorts of remarkable things in there uh, that are little known that I would definitely encourage you to read about, some of which are things like St. Phillips had the first public library in America, St. Philip's had the first school for black children in America, um, and I could go on and on, but I will not Well, good, I can't, uh, because that's, <laughs> that's
0: all I got were those two books, so uh, yeah.
1: And if you're a historian and you'd like to write a book, please come talk to me. I mean about you can that.
0: come. Primary sources are archives room. It's right. ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. but you gotta have a key to get in there. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: Can we play some moratorium on the burnout question? This gets answered every theology on tap. Okay. Alright. Um We <laughs> don't ever ask that again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you bad people.
2: Uh, <laughs> Is it worth it to go back to school today? Would it be better to spend your time reading slash learning? Or are your interested? Sorry. Would it be better to spend your time reading
1: or learning what you are interested in, even if it doesn't lead to a degree? That's a great question. I think a lot of it depends on what the program is and what the school is. Some degree programs are basically diploma mills where they are making you jump through hoops just to get this degree and you don't really learn anything and the people that you're teaching rather the people that are teaching you are not passionate about what they're teaching. So I think if there is a place where there's someone who passionately loves what they're teaching that is probably a good place to be because as Justin talked about, discipleship, um, that whole idea of being a learner is about following someone who is an inspirational master or teacher. So that can be good, but I also think that if you just want the degree because it looks good, uh, that there may be a way to accomplish the same thing in terms of actually learning and appreciating something without having to be in an academic program. But a lot of that involves finding the right mentor. Mentoring is really, really important with being able to go deep and learning to love something that you want to learn more about.
0: Yeah, gosh, having a good teacher who actually really loves it changes the game completely. Yeah, Uh, I studied history at Duke and really did not like a lot of my classes, mainly because the teachers were kind of dry, it seemed like, but also I wasn't super interested in it. Uh, But I did read, and I will say, reading something that you're interested in alongside of. Of course, there may be a program that you're in where you just have to plow through, but don't let that kill your love of learning in the long run. Like, Be around those whose love is infectious, but also read things outside of that to just keep that fire going in some ways. And, yes. and find something, whether it's a club or a group, in or out of the school, that is going to keep that fire alive.
2: What should Christians learn from the conflict between the Jews and Muslims? What might might we do or not do to avoid a circumstance
0: for Christians? Circumstance for Christians.
1: Is that the end of the question? Yes. I don't know what that means. I'm not quite sure what that means either. But one of the things I would say that we can learn from these conflicts is that Part of what is absolutely unique about Christianity as a faith compared to any other faith tradition in the world is that Christianity is the only one where you are commanded, if you are a Christian, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that is fundamentally different from any other faith tradition that is out there. and so. That is something that if Christians were to actually practice that, um, could potentially be transformative. Because I think demonizing your enemy, assuming the worst about them, that is not the perspective that Jesus gives us in that teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, where he calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us.
0: I, I think just a very basic way to answer the first part of the question is recognizing they have a shared, a common history. They find their roots back in Abraham, right? And that's that's really important to, re- to see that they have this shared uh, figure that they trace their, their roots back to. And uh, a lot of that has to do, uh, again, going back to, <coughs> excuse me, Christianity being something radically different than any you know, other religion. It, it's not only the religion that commands you to love your enemy, but it's the only one that is actually by, by grace completely. Yes. That's... It's another Lewis thing that um, mm-hmm. he said. was, He wasn't so bad. This is one of, no, he's pretty good. But <clears throat> the basis for true humility is to recognize that line of good and evil runs in your own heart and that you've in no way taken the step to earn God's love in any way, that he's actually set his love on you despite yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the Christian gospel, uh, is that God's love is that lavish, and it cuts us to the quick, enables us to actually love those that we disagree with, right? Uh, which is important.
2: How do you balance (coughs) homeschool kids to instill Christian values outside of the culture
1: with sending them out into that culture as a witness of Christ? That is a great question. Um, I will speak a little bit to that. We homeschooled all four of our children uh, for the major part of their elementary and middle school years, And we didn't initially intend to do that, we sort of fell into it. And one of the great myths about homeschooling is that kids that are homeschooled are like ultra sheltered and unable to communicate with people and they like, if they get in a crowd, they like go hide in a corner. Uh, And that is so absolutely opposite every experience that I have ever had with people who were homeschooled. Um, there's a remarkable family at St. Phillips, the Gardeners, whom some of y'all know, uh, whose kids have been homeschooled from the beginning, and they are some of the most extraordinary, interesting, fun kids that I've ever met anywhere. But what we found is that there was a lot that you could do with sports teams and choir and living somewhere like Charleston, um, theater, you know, there there are a million things you can do to get your kids involved with people. And um, we we elected to put all of our children into a normal private school when they hit ninth grade. But I think homeschooling was one of the great things that happened because for those grades before ninth grade, they were able to actually have a life. They had no homework. They were in school maybe about four hours a day, and they were able to go on long trips. They were able to do <laughs> sports. <clears throat> they were able to do music, and not have all that crushing pressure of homework all the time. And then all four of them were honor students all the way through high school. So they weren't set back um, by being homeschooled. Yeah. I, well, I mean, gosh, the, the Gardner
0: family, that, that was what blew my mind, is recognizing these are not just like socially okay kids, but these are exemplary ex- social yeah. uh, in how they treat both other children and adults. It's, and that, to me, gosh, when we got married, the one thing my wife and I could agree on for our education was we could rule out homeschooling. We would never do that. And now we are 13 <laughs> years later, homeschooling, That's like, what we said, going, too. what in the yeah. world, how do we do this? I, I was a product of private schools. She was a public school teacher. And so that's what we were disagreeing on. But here we are um, now homeschooling in large part because the realization that you're going to be formed by something. And in whatever whatever environment you're in, it's usually the lowest common denominator of the environment around it, right? That's going to shape who you are, which, gosh, I was seeing that with my son, the way he approached learning was highly uh, formed by some of the guys in his grade. And it was just... Man, I don't, I don't want that for him. And so, I, I think to answer the question too is my primary responsibility right now is to train them as they become an adult to go out into the world. And, and it's not that doesn't mean sheltering them from things. It's actually exposing them to things appropriately under the care of my roof so that I can teach them. My job primarily now is to disciple them, and then to send them out. And I think so often my my child is not seen is not primarily a missionary. And I think that's how people typically approach the issue of education, is I want them to go be missionaries, and they have no idea what to think. My job is to teach them, how do you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? How do we understand the world? It's my job to help equip them to do that. And how do you work your way through thinking about things yeah. that are difficult? Right. Yeah. And I think so many people, uh, out, of a, out of the best intentions, we want to go affect the culture, but it's like sending, gosh, like a, I mean, this is like a sheep to the slaughter. You're a sheep who needs to be formed to grow into adulthood, so that you can engage that and to to engage a system um, in the world like we're in today, is just really, really like damaging. I think in yeah. some ways. So, I don't know. I obviously have strong opinions about that. We can talk about that <laughs> afterwards. But it is uh, about that time. So thanks for coming out. We'll be back in two weeks. Guess what? Two weeks from now is. Halloween, we're gonna That's meet on right. Halloween. So, we're gonna talk about. Should, it's gonna be awesome. Should Christians celebrate Halloween? It's gonna be the best Halloween
1: you ever spent. Totally. So, come on out. We hope to see you. Thanks yeah. for coming out tonight, Thanks y'all. Thanks for coming.